Hello, everybody. It's Dr. Sophie back with our weekly podcast. And I'm always glad to have you back and hope you're glad to uh, listen and that you're learning as we go and you're involved. And really, it's all to make the world a better place, the community a safer place, and to have our children and to have families stay together, work through things, learn tools, and walk away knowing how to navigate life because it's going to happen to all of us no matter what we do. So, Last week, we had a pretty interesting topic. We were talking about Help Me, I'm Aging. We talked a lot about different aspects of aging, and we had a really great expert on. We talked about mind and body aging. Are they at the same speed and rate? Do they happen differently? Impairments in thinking, why some people can think better and they're as fresh as if they're 21 and they're 80 and another 80-year-old is really clouded and confused. Is it just genetics? Is it environment? Is it the diet? Is it all that stuff? Is it nothing? So take a listen. You're going to learn a lot. This week's topic, though, is really very interesting. It's a very controversial topic because it evokes a lot of feelings in people, especially parents. And the topic is teens and sex. And it's always a scary thing. I think that parents feel there are many times throughout their child's development that they're frightened or they're not sure of what they should be doing or how to handle things. But I honestly think that the biggest times and the most anxiety-provoking times for parents are like when you're thinking or knowing that your child may want to have sex, might want to know more about sex, maybe is having sex and then the other time is when they're driving they're very dangerous activities in our mind and that's why i wanted to talk about it today because i want to dispel a lot of the fear and a lot of the myth with teen sex so stay tuned and you're going to learn a lot today you're going to have all kinds of tools we're going to learn we're going to walk away with some tips but i want to get rid of that fear that drives oftentimes the decisions that we make with our teenagers stay tuned Welcome back, everybody. This week, we are talking about teen sex and the issues around that for parents, for teens, and we're going to need an expert on here today. I know it because there's a lot of statistics. I'm sure they change. I want to know, do they change fast over time? You know, what's the deal? I want to know. I want to also have you call in because I want to answer some of your questions. I want to dispel some of the fear because I think that fear is at the core of a lot of the decision makings that go on in different homes from parents who are either frightened by what they did as themselves as teenagers or what they hear or see on television, read about in the newspaper, watch on the news or wherever it's coming from. But fear is oftentimes at the core of making decisions for our teenagers as far as sex and sexual activity goes. And the one thing that I really need you to understand is the last thing that we really want to do as parents is to have some real odd weirdness around sex, sexuality for our children. They need to be able to feel that it's a freely acceptable piece of themselves. And the key thing is that it is a piece of their whole person. It is not what defines them. It is not what drives them. It has to be just a smaller piece of the whole person. And so making decisions and the ways that we react to decisions or that we, you know, if we learn something that our teen is doing and the way that we react to it and if there's a discussion or no discussion, all of those things will dictate how our teen feels about themselves, feels about sex in general, feels about their own sexuality, and it can change the way that they 
handle the rest of their lives. And so that's what we're talking about today. Teens and their sexuality, teens and how they handle sex, parents making decisions, and doing it from a less fear-based place. one 855 now one 855 So joining me today to talk about teen sex and teenagers and those decisions and all of that discomfort that comes along with it but shouldn't be with it and the parents who are afraid and making decisions is Seneca Elliott. Are you with me? Yes, hi. So tell me a little bit about you. Uh, well, I'm an assistant professor at North Carolina State University where I teach sociology, so I have a Ph.D. in sociology, and I study parents, um, teenagers, the family relationship, and most recently my interests have focused on what parents believe about their teens' sex lives. Ah, and how do you study this? I study this by talking to people, by um, asking people to tell me what they believe, um, and I usually follow... Uh, qualitative research methods, so I try to make sure that I talk to a lot of different people, uh, different people from different walks of life, Uh, and um, I also pay attention to uh, what's being said in the public realm, in media, on TV, in the news um, Hmm. about these issues, and I follow particular local events. I attended sex education classes, for example, for this project, and also attended some debates in which uh, sex education uh, was being uh, discussed. Ah, Okay, well, tell me a little bit more, like you talk to people of all different walks of life. What does that mean? So it means that I I aim to interview, I conduct interviews with people. I develop um, a number of questions that I will systematically ask everyone, but also allow them to direct the course of the interview. Um, and I, I look for people who have kids of varying ages. For this research project that I've recently done, I only interviewed parents who had teenagers, but I defined teenagers as 13 to 18. Um, and so I tried to get parents who had teenagers within that age range, um, parents of different races and ethnicities, parents of different socioeconomic statuses, so um, low-income parents, middle-income, upper-income and um, this study that I'm referring to is a geographically specific study. So I oh. focused on parents in one particular region. They do live in what's considered a red state, which means it's a state that has um, historically uh, voted Republican and tends Ooh. to hold um, more conservative values. However, well, I will say that the, yeah. parents, the parents live in a red state, but they live in a city that's considered, um, well, depending on which side of the uh, political spectrum you might be on, either um, a liberal oasis or a... Yeah, exactly. So it's a very liberal um, city within a larger conservative state. So tell me, that's that's very interesting, but tell me, when you look at these people across the board and they're in a kind of common geographic area, but they go the gamut of socioeconomic stuff, all that kind of thing, do you see a shift in thinking about their teens and their teen sex life and their teens and their sexuality? I think absolutely. Each each person I talked to um, had very um, had some unique uh, perspectives and ideas. But um, as a sociologist, I'm also looking for patterns and commonalities, and I was also able to identify some similarities, um, even across very disparate um, class 
um, race. So tell me, what do you find then was the most common factor across the board for all of them? Well, so one thing that I found, and I have to say I wasn't expecting this and it surprised me, the parents I spoke with consistently described their teen children as not interested in sex, Hmm. as younger, more immature, um, more naive than their teen peers, and as a consequence, um, not interested in sex. Were they wrong? (laughs) I don't say that. I don't say whether the parents are wrong or not. What I'm saying is how they think and why they might be thinking that way. I think there are some really good reasons why parents are thinking this way. Why? Denial? Uh, No. No. Uh, <laughs> I think that's an easy out. That's not right. as a sociologist, I couldn't, uh, I couldn't take such an easy out. So, so one is um, that they don't hear anything good about teens and sex. Right. Uh, so I ask people when people say, "Gosh, parents are in denial." I ask them, "When's the last time you heard anything positive about teen sexual activity?" Um, we we don't hear anything positive. Right. We hear a lot about the negatives. That's why we're doing this today. Yes, we hear the fear stuff that you mentioned earlier pregnancy rates, STI rates, right. uh, coercion, victimization, um, teen vulnerability, raging hormones. And so parents look at their teens and they don't necessarily see their teens in those negative ways and they don't necessarily want to see their teens um, participating in sex that might put them in peril. Yeah, or any risk. Right. right. And I will also say that although I didn't interview teens, I do think that teens are kind of actively participating in this. They're colluding with their parents. So a lot of parents said that they feel this way because their teens have told them, I'm not having sex. I'm not interested. I don't need to hear about this from you. You know, don't worry about me. And so teens are kind of actively constructing a sense that they are not involved in sex for their teens. And at the same time, they seem quite willing to talk to their parents about what their peers are up to sexually. Right, so, which is probably what they're up to or wanting to be up to. Perhaps. So they, they might tell them outlandish stories about the kids who got right. caught having sex in the school bathroom. Right. Um, but they're not necessarily talking about their own sexual desires or interests. And do you think, I want to give you a statistic here and have your see what you think about it in your comment, but before we go there, I just want to quickly ask you, what role or, or percentage would you say cultural influences have or those kinds of things that really differ among people and their ethical values have place a role in how that family has viewed and dealt with sex in general as a topic in their home and then that trickles down to their teen who either doesn't feel safe or comfortable to do it but they're in a, a different kind of culture more americanized in school and socially I'm sorry, are you referring to, like, immigrant parents who may... Well, yeah, immigrant parents or just parents who are really just very clear about their culture and and ethics, and that value is just we don't have sex until we're married or we don't Mm -hmm. talk about sex in our house or, Mm -hmm. you know, those kinds of things that might kind of keep a teen feeling they aren't safe to talk about or it's not okay to talk about, and then that makes it not okay because outside their home they're living with their friends and their peers who are maybe talking about it more and they're in a conflict then yeah and i think this kind of is across the board i i I think certainly there there are parents who may be more comfortable talking about sex with their teens i interviewed a mom who is a sex health educator and she described feeling very comfortable talking with her teens about sex Uh, she described her teens as not being particularly happy about this but she said that she 
felt comfortable bringing up these topics and felt like she had some authority in doing so. But I should say, um, I, I, I wouldn't want to single out any one particular group because I think even in our culture, I like to say in our culture, sex is everywhere and it's nowhere. So it's right. all over you know, our, our media images and even into our public discourse. And yet I think there is still a strong sense that it's shameful to talk about. Totally, totally. Um, and so I think when I talked with the parents, I found myself sometimes feeling a little bit shameful asking them these personal questions. Right. And I could see that they, even in that context of our interview, there was some shame going on. Parents often didn't want to use the word sex. And I, I picked up on some sort of cues that would suggest shame, like being yeah. red in the face, speaking very quickly or stammering. Right. And parents across the board, the ones I spoke with and uh, the people I've, sp- I've talked with since use um, euphemisms for genitals. So rather than using the um, anatomically correct terms, I would hear things like down there, uh, private parts. Just totally uncomfortable. Yeah. 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 And, and, I, and I should say, you know, that I watched an episode of Oprah a few years ago, and uh, Dr. Laura Berman, who's a right. well-known sex educator, was coaching a mother to talk with her um, young daughter who had asked a lot of questions about sex and the mother felt really unprepared to deal with it and so Dr. Berman went through and coached her and helped her and gave her some books that she could use while she was having the conversation with her daughter and then they filmed the mom and the daughter having the conversation Um, and of course this was an awkward thing because she's being filmed in addition to talking about sex with her daughter what I thought was really poignant was that the mother you know her she her emotional, um, the way she was conveying herself emotionally really clearly showed her discomfort. And, you know, she even had trouble with pronouncing words like clitoris. She, she ah. mispronounced it. And I thought, wow, there's a, a body part that mother and daughter share, but we don't hear it. We don't talk about it routinely. And so this mother isn't, doesn't even know really how to pronounce it. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Let's take a caller, and then I'm going to come back and tease your brain again okay all right on the phone with us is michelle you with us hi thank you for taking my call (laughs) thank you you're on with dr sophie and seneca elliott thank you so much so i am a 15 year old boy and i have two girls that are 13 and 11 and i'm the house that everyone congregates at all the friends are there everyone's always there at my house and I find myself with a group of 15-year-old boys who share everything with me and are open and honest to tell me anything and everything that's going on and some naive little girls. And I feel like I need to have this talk with my girls, and I don't even know how to approach it. Interesting. What do you think, Seneca? Well, first of all, I think it's great that these boys uh, feel like they have an adult in their life that they can talk openly Absolutely. Um, about these things. So are you feeling as though your daughters are in the room and um, are hearing parts of these conversations and um, are probably wondering what's going on? Yeah, I do. I feel like they're curious. And then I also feel like I need to have like this official talk with the girls because um, I find, because I have, you know, a group of 13, 14-year-old girls, and then I have this group of 15, 16-year-old boys, and then I'm like, okay, I'm going to go to bed. Like, I need to set boundaries as far as, okay, boys, you stay in your room after this time. Girls, you stay in your room after this time because I want them here where I can see them, but I feel like I need to explain 
why I'm setting these boundaries up. It's not, I don't trust you, because I do trust them, but I feel like I need to, like, define what's appropriate, what's not appropriate. Now, do the yeah. girls get involved in the discussion when you're having it with the boys, or the boys are bringing things up? The girls act very uncomfortable and almost embarrassed, which is which is odd, because they're very open and honest with me, too, but it's a very private conversation. The boys are just loud and obnoxious and make jokes and are just you know, inappropriate boys. And it makes the girls feel uncomfortable. But the girls, you know, they're open and honest and talk to me about things, too. I mean, we're very, um, we don't, I mean, I don't want them to ever feel shameful or embarrassed or anything. But they do, they don't feel embarrassed talking to me, but they feel embarrassed in front of the boys. Uh, I can understand. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The boys aren't making jokes at, at girls' expense, are they? Uh, no, 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 no. That would never be acceptable in my house ever. They know better than that. I, I just wondered if that was part of it. I mean, I think, I, I think it makes perfect sense yep. that, that your daughters might feel a little um, uncomfortable um, with some older boys, particularly talking about sex. And I think it is hard for girls, especially. And this is what all the data suggests that it is hard for girls, especially to talk openly and to claim sexuality as um, a place of knowledge and comfort. And it's more comfortable in some ways, although this sounds odd, for girls to be uncomfortable about sex or to at least act like that um, and to act like they, they don't know about sexuality because in, in some ways we've constructed girls' knowledge about sexuality is in some ways dangerous. So I think it's great that you're having these open conversations and your daughters feel really comfortable talking with you openly. And I think it's really interesting that you've noticed that their discomfort is elevated when the boys are, are in the room. And I think it wouldn't be a bad idea to just mention that to them, ask yeah. them, what's going on? What do you think that is? And maybe you can bring in some of you know the, the fact that it might be harder for girls to claim sexuality as a place of knowledge and safety in our culture. Interesting. Very yeah. interesting. But I think it's great that you have an environment where they can come and feel safe. And that's really the first step, don't you think, Seneca? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think so. And, and you know, you know, when you were talking about keeping them and um, feeling like you need to trust them but worrying about rooms, again, I think, you know, where they are and which room, I think, you know, information and helping young people feel empowered that they can control their own bodies and they can control what's happening to them. And just that, I think, takes not just one talk, but lots of ongoing talk about feeling right about how other people are talking to you or what other people, you know, may be saying about your body or if someone's touching your body. Just working through that and maintaining that open dialogue um, may help them feel like they are empowered to control their own, you know, what they do with their bodies. But don't you guys think, though, that trust and that kind of conversation, that kind of dynamic with your child starts so early on because you have to have that same level of trust and respect when you're going to tell them you're checking their phone or their computer or their addresses, all that stuff. I mean, it's all about parenting at the end of the day and building that safety. Yeah. My kids know, like, if you want a Facebook account, this is how old you have to be and I want your password and just know that I'm going to check it. They know that and they're fine with that. That's the rules in our house. They don't you know, they don't know any different, so why would they expect any different because it was set up that way from the beginning? Exactly. Yeah. So, no, I, I mean, I just totally agree. I just think that if you're not authentic with your children, it's very difficult to get authentic at a time in their development than when they don't even want to hear from you. Yeah. 
That's yeah. a great point, and that's a good way of describing teenagers. Right, exactly. <laughs> so you don't think that by having this conversation that I'm opening the door to, I don't want to put ideas in their head, I just want them to be aware. Right. I mean, many parents think like, well, if I give my child a condom or take my daughter for birth control, does that mean I'm telling her she can have sex? Is that what you're asking? Yeah. Well, a lot of people say that, and I, I know my kids better than that, but by saying to them, you know, by having this in-depth conversation, which we've never really just sat down and had some big talk, it's just been as things come up and questions come up, they know that it's an open conversation and, and that we talk about it. We don't dodge subjects. And so it's... so. I'm like, am I changing the dynamics by setting them down and having the talk? Well, I would just like to reassure you that there's no evidence that talking about sex with youth leads them to have sex. Right, right. There's no correlation. There's a lot of, of research that suggests talking about sex with, with youth um, helps them to be better decision makers and to be better about controlling when and how and where sex happens. But you're not giving them permission to have sex now just right. because you have a conversation right. about right. what it means to have sex and how you protect yourself and these other things. Yep, totally. Okay. That's great. That's just great information. Thank you both Michelle, so thank you very much for calling. Thanks for your question. All right. Bye-bye. Okay, Seneca, I got a stat for you. 19 million new STDs each year are among kids between 15 and 24 years of age. What do you think of that? Well, I think that there are a lot of STIs out there, and I think, yes, we have high rates of STIs among teenagers. What's interesting is that at the same time, um, we have great um, ways of diagnosing right. um, STIs. So some some suggest that these um, the higher rates of STIs that we might be seeing now are in part due to the fact that we're better at catching them and diagnosing them and treating them. Um, and so we have a great infrastructure around um, uh, uh, detecting and treating um, and also um, preventing um, future STIs. Uh, you know, HPV, which is the human papillomavirus, is the most common STI um, among teens. And I think there's been a lot of um, interest about S uh, HPV in part because um, some versions of the virus have been linked with cancers, especially right. cervical cancer, but now we're learning other cancers as well. But what a lot of parents don't know, and of course I wouldn't want to um, say that this isn't a problem and we shouldn't be worried about it, but 90% of people who... Um, are infected with HPV have absolutely no symptoms and it goes away um, on its own. Um, don't may not even know right, right. that they have been infected. And so, so when we look at the um, rates, it doesn't always reflect what's happening to bodies. And I think we often we often think I don't know about you, but um, uh, sex education classes I took and I the ones that I saw students take showed um, absolutely graphic and horrific um, images right, of right. what happens um, when someone is infected with a STI, like herpes or genital warts. And of course, it's, it's a, it, this does happen, but I also think that um, in many of these cases, um, we're, we're seeing very treatable yeah, um, or even symptomless. Right. Um, I mean, they're scaring these kids, too. Right. It's part of that right. Right. Um discourse, absolutely. All right. Um, so... I mean, what do you think, what would you tell parents are the best way to find out about their teen and their teen sex life and, and that whole thing? How would parents, you know, go about finding it out? 
do they ask directly? Do they snoop? Do they ask their friends' parents? What do you think? I think it depends on the relationship they have. I think some parents uh, do find out accidentally, you know, whether it's by opening a diary or catching a, a text message. Um, and I think that that can pose some some particular issues for the parent, like, okay, now I found this out, but I didn't find this out in a particularly legitimate avenue, so I'm uncomfortable with how I talk with my teen now. So I would advocate being open. Um, I think just as with most um, aspects of parenting, being open and honest goes a long way. Um, and I think that, you know, one of the things that I really think is interesting from my research is I realized we really expect teens to, to tell us about their sex lives. We expect right. their sex lives to be an open book. But I'm not sure that many of us expect our own sex lives. That's uh, right. Um, that we expect right. you know, that um, we're going to be comfortable talking about this. Um, and so also just to think about what does it mean to talk about sexuality and uh, do I, do I want to talk about um, my own sex life um, if I ask my teen about his or her sex life. Um, I think those are th things that I can't tell parents what to do, but I can say that these might be useful questions to have as you're thinking about how you might want to um, approach or ask your teen about sexuality. Right. Good. Okay. How about we take another caller? Okay. Skylar, you with us? Hello. Hey, it's Dr. Sophie and Seneca Elliott. How are you? Good, thank you. How are you? Good. What's your question about teen sex? Well, I've had the talk with my teenage daughter who's going into high school. She's about to, you know, just starting high school. And I know she needs to live her life, but I'm not sure what the realistic behavior is for a teen. And when you say realistic behavior, you mean how many times she should be having sex? When she should have sex? When, what do you think? if, you know, timing. Ah. And so what did you tell her so far? Um, you know, that she needs to respect herself and kind of a vague talk, not a very in-depth talk. All right. Just as your specialist was saying, it's kind of hard. Well, before, before Seneca answers that, I just want to know, do you role model that behavior that you want to see? I do. Okay. Seneca, it's all yours. <laughs> well, so as a sociologist, of course, percentages, statistics, these are sort of the bread and butter of our work. And yet at the same time, I have a real critique of them because what's average isn't always what's right for any individual person and doesn't always present a useful trajectory to follow. So that each of us may find um, sex at a different age good or we may find sex at a different time better than, than others. So the trick is to know your daughter and to kind of be with her as she goes through this. You know, by the time um, young people graduate from high school, about half have had sex of some form that's sexual intercourse. A lot of teens are also reporting engaging in oral sex, um, about the same as uh, report engaging in sex, actually. Um, and then about by the time they reach, uh, I think, 24, about, I think, almost 100% of young people report having sex. But the thing is to think about how how that sex occurs, in what context um, is it wanted, is it pleasurable, is it safe, is it within, you know, a context of a committed relationship, these sorts of things. And does her dad get involved in any of these discussions? 
No, no, he doesn't get involved at all. And I guess the question is, it seems like sex has been so normalized. Yeah. And so much younger that I kind of wanted to have a better gauge on what is realistic. To me, you didn't get, you know, when it was my time, I you don't have sex unless you're married. And that's obviously out the window. Yeah. So I just kind of wanted to see what the gauge is realistically, what to expect. Yeah, I mean, I think what I find with people is that the more solid your child is from growing up, they have hobbies, they're well-rounded, they're interested in life, those kinds of things, less likely they are to go get soothed in these ways that may be a little bit premature for them. Right. So and there is a prematurity still. I mean, you shouldn't be expecting that your ninth grader is having sex. No, I, I don't think you should expect it, but I think you shouldn't keep your head in the sand that you know, it's not a possibility because she's definitely going to hear about it and she's definitely going to see it on TV or whatever. But, you know, their own beliefs, your own cultural beliefs, your religious beliefs, whatever, and your home's foundation is really going to kind of guide that as well. So it's a whole bunch of a lot of stuff that is navigated and needs to be navigated from early on. Got it. Thank you. But if you feel if you feel like you want your daughter to delay sex and you you hope that's um, what she does, then... It's okay to say that, you know. That See, that's important. Yeah, it's okay to say, you know, um, sex is something great, but um, it's something that you should do when you're older. Um, that's right. No, don't be afraid to tell them what your beliefs are and what you yeah. would prefer. That's not a guilt trip. Right. I think I've made it clear without saying the words, but I guess I need to say the words. <laughs> yeah. right. I, I think those words are useful. I think right. they clarify some things, and 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 if you can say it more than once, uh, that you know they, they they don't always get the message the first time, and it's useful to hear it several times, just like you know, learning how to do chores. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate that. All right. Thanks, Skylar. Uh-huh. Thank Take you. care. All right, Senega. So I have a couple more questions, though. Um, do you think that numbers differ in parts of the country? Because I know that you go to different, um, you know, same geographic areas and different types of people. But across the country, if you took a step back and look at a bigger picture view, what do numbers look like? Do they differ? Like in terms of uh, teen sexual activity or yeah. birth rates? Or? Well, um, sexual activity in general, like starting it and, you know age of starting, those kinds of things? You know, I actually have mostly seen national stats on that. I haven't seen them parsed out by a geographic region, and I think that might be because they don't vary much. Ah. Uh, but that's an interesting question. I I haven't come across that. I've certainly come across statistics that show, for example, that the teen birth rate varies ah. by state, or um, even within some state it might look regionally how it might vary. Ah. Um, but I haven't seen anything that specifically suggests that teen have sex earlier in some parts of the country than others. Ah, got it. So tell me a little bit about your book before I let you go. Okay. Well, I talked to this large group of parents, and I, you know, I found that a lot of them aren't <clears throat> thinking about their own teens as sexual subjects. And I mentioned a couple of reasons why, and I'll just mention one other reason, because this is something I talk about a lot in the book. You know, I mentioned that the parents I spoke with described their teens as, as young and immature and kind of irresponsible and in the book, I write about how these ways of thinking about teenagers really fit with our modern ideas about teenagers as not really fully rational or capable um, beings. And, right. and this is a very modern way of thinking. It's, it's actually fairly recent as well. We didn't even have an idea of adolescence or teenagehood as a particular stage in our life development until the 1900s. So I think, you know, parents are, are also thinking about whether their teens are going to be capable of 
handling decisions about sexuality and using um, contraception, for example, within the sort of larger context in which we think about teenagers as somewhat irresponsible. Got um, it. And so in the book, I talk also about how we need to be thinking about um, how, how we think about teenagers and particularly how we tend to think about teenagers as not adult and separate from um, being adult. And when we, we notice this a lot when we talk about um, teen sexuality, we, we see it as different from adult sexuality, yep. when in fact we see a lot of parallels across the two. That's so neat. <laughs> That's really good. It, it contains a lot of anxiety for people, too. Yeah. Where can yeah. we find this book? Uh, it's available from um, New York University Press. It's on Amazon.com. It Ooh. should be in some bookstores. Um, yeah. Excellent. Thank you very much, Seneca Elliott, for all of your expertise, your information, and for writing these books because they're really very good. They're very informative, and they're helping parents and they're helping kids, and that's really the key. So really, keep up the great work. Wonderful. Thanks for having Thank me. Thank you. So that was our expert, Seneca Elliott, who was talking about sex, stats, all kinds of uh, opinions and views across the board where she does her research to try to figure out and understand better teen sex, parents, and their attitudes. And that was our topic for today, teen sex, and really looking at some of the issues that drive some of the fears and then breakdowns in teens and parents when they're talking. But today I want you to take away these four tips so that you understand the best ways to start to navigate that thought and that discussion with your teen. Number one, I want you to make it safe for your child to be able to talk to you. Make it an emotionally safe place. Don't get angry if you can. Control yourself. Respect each other. And no using things as ammunition back and forth. So make it a safe place. You have to get there. That's the first step. Once it's safe, then get your child to trust and get them to understand that sex is not dirty. Sex is not anything we can't talk about. Dispel that myth for them. Number three. Tell them what you want for them. Don't be afraid to tell them, well, I would prefer that you wait until whatever. Either that's based culturally, that's based religiously, it's based in whatever, but it's not a guilt trip. So tell your child what it is you prefer for them because they do need guidance and they do need to hear it from you. And last, I really want you to be able to connect them to a doctor so that they have a safe place to ask questions and get the education they need to keep themselves healthy and safe from a physical standpoint because prevention is the key. So those are our four tips. Take them home. Thank you for listening today. Podcasts are always available on our website and on iTunes. Plug in my website and at www.drsophie.com. Keep your eyeballs open for my new phone app. It's coming out. Call me whenever you need me. 1-855-SOPHIE-NOW or 1-855-767-4966. Follow me on Facebook and Twitter. Check out my book side by side, Mother Daughter Conflict Free Resolution book. And visit iTunes to download the full version of Andy Grammer's Keep Your Head Up. And most of all, don't forget to sleep. But you gotta keep your head up, oh, and you can let your head down.